Hey, it's your Kali. What's up? Warning, 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 warning. You are about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. Hello guys, we are Yola Kali. We're here in Lumpen Radio Studio B. I'm here with Jennifer Yalan. My name is Jerry. And remember guys, you guys are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM. So for today's special, we actually have a social justice news nexus. Um, me and Jenny, uh, we were actually for Psycho 4 for the Northwestern Fellowship. Um, so for the Psycho 4, it's actually an energy and uh, environmental justice uh, uh, fellowship to raise awareness on uh, uh, communities around Chicago or neighborhoods that uh, need to uh, be aware that there are certain things that are damaging our our ecosystem or our, anything that is involved in our community. Yeah, uh, this year it was actually Psycho 4, like Jerry said, and it was about environmental justice, more about like uh, community and like knowing what harms are held in our communities and how environmental has to be like out there you know so it was really it was a really nice experience for us too so before our final project that we did um that we're actually going to present today for the first time ever um we actually had to do a few other projects before it uh we had to do articles for northwestern um it was actually fun for me uh, i actually quite enjoyed it and it was quite um very much a great way to meet other people and know what's going on in the real world out there. I was actually able to interview kids that were at Standing Rock within the first few weeks. Um, f- a little bit of information about them. They actually have uh, little chapters around uh, across country. They have one in Chicago that where they're recently located now. Um, they, at first, they started in Denver, but then they started uh, realizing, oh, what about these kids? Like, what do they do now once, like, Standing Rock is over? So the kids decided, oh, we're going to open up chapters around the United States um, so we can, so the kids can have, like, a home to go to when they want to protest something or, you know, they want to uh, raise awareness on uh, eco topics that uh, are damaging our earth, you know. Um, another thing is that these kids are very, very, very into uh, the whole rally and protesting thing because they really do care about Mother Earth and nature. Um but it was quite interesting because I didn't know that they were teens at the time. I didn't know there were teens at Standing Rock. And for me, uh, it was quite uh, motivational because um, the kids started since they were like 15, 16. And most of the 15, 16 year olds are out at high school. Or they go out and have fun with their friends. But these kids, they actually went and protested to, um, you know, save the earth. That's pretty cool. And that's like the power of like what this... Um fellowship like gave us like yeah it gave us like opportunities to know more about like community uh you know like teens actually and like uh people who are actually like active on these uh topics like environmental justice within like the community and it was really cool you know um i also had the chance to uh talk to the ad collective 
So pretty much this act collective is an uh, with artists, and they pretty much do work for the community and for the uh, environmental justice. And they they have pretty like good work that they have done, and they actually like are pretty known by now. And I actually did enjoy like meeting these uh, people in this collective. So it was really nice. We also did other articles that were like uh, entertaining for us. Like for me, I did Bikes on the Go, which was on, uh, it was pretty much like a, a me going on bikes with uh, with other people, church peop- uh, people that went to La Vas- uh, this plains to El Cerrito. And yeah, it was pretty amazing. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we did this, like, blocks that actually, like, somewhere, like, really, like, uh, it really called for, like, environmental justice, and the other ones did, too. But at the time, uh, at the same time, we also had fun doing them, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, another blog that I actually did for uh, the Social Justice News Nexus was actually for um, Earth to Trump Rally. Earth to Trump Rally was held at Hermosa Neighborhood. Um, the cool thing about the Earth to Trump rally was that uh, it was a motivational rally and it always moves and it goes to from different states and countries sometimes. But um, their last stop was actually in Washington where the White House is collected. Um, the thing is that but the Earth to Trump rally is that uh, it started here in Chicago. So it was great to go to one. And it was actually uh, very uh, knowledgeable because um, there was many uh organizations there there was uh veterans for peace there were others um uh the black lives matter movements were there um and it was quite uh really great because um it shows that people do care about uh earth and they they all uh rallied up there to tell trump like oh this is happening this is what's going wrong and he needs to do something like i i people understand that uh he may not be the best but people are still trying to tell him oh we need this in our earth and we need this to save our earth and we don't want like the harmful toxic waste or we don't want the pipelines to be installed in sanding rock and all sorts of stuff. But um, it was great to see uh, uh, numerous organizations to get a uh, rally up together and, you know, let them know like, oh, this is what's up and we want this to change. I think that was pretty cool. And I yeah. I like the fact that there was like different parts of like organizations that yeah. were there. And I actually like seeing teens in these like rallies are it's like one of the most powerful things to see because that's like our future. Like they they're pretty much have to like be out there and let people know that even though that we're young and we're the youth, we will still like we still care about Earth and we still care about like all these environmental justice uh, issues that are going on in our community and within the world. Yeah, um most of uh, the friends that I have from the Chicago chapter, from from the people that were at Standing Rock, they actually protested and rallied up uh, to numerous events around Chicago. Um, they still have uh, other ones to do, and hopefully one day we get to see them, and um, hopefully we're able to interview them again and, you know, present them through Lumpen. That'll be fun, you know? Yeah, I think that would be really fun to yeah. have a, like, perspective on uh, what they, team, yeah. yeah. That'll, be, that'll be fun. So for now, we're going to present our Social Justice News Nexus uh, projects. Um, you guys should be excited because it's the first time we're showing it to the public. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys are excited as we are. Oh, come on. We worked really hard on this. Um, the process was pretty much like the eight months of the fellowship. Uh, 
I quite enjoyed it because I'm a south side cyclist myself. I live in Little Village, but uh, I usually bike around the south side and towards downtown. Um, I usually do it daily, weekly, and then I always attend critical mass, the south side one and the downtown one. But um, every time I go attend uh, critical mass or even if I just bike ride by myself, um, I notice things that uh, other people, other cyclists notice, but not drivers or pedestrians. Because uh, in the cyclist point of view, um, it's quite different. The world's different. Um, I know that cyclists take the red lights and all that, but um, uh, we try to be a more eco-friendly way to uh, to uh, go to place. So a bike uh, is quite accessible and it's more eco-friendly. Um, personally, me, what I try to do throughout this um, fellowship for uh, for my final project, I didn't really tell anyone. But uh, I told myself if I'm gonna do a a, a project about uh, bicyclists that are held in that are are usually in the south side, and we I want to raise awareness on like the issue that we have. Um, I would try to do the entire project, but um, instead of using a car, using the CTA, I'll ride my bike to the locations or to the interviews that I did. Uh, the locations I went to. Uh, I've done interviews like outside with the some people that I interviewed. I've actually visited working bikes, but every time I'll do something that is related to the project for the fellowship, I actually went and used my bike ride to notice new things and discover uh, what problems are out there for cyclists. So um, it was it was really wonderful for me because um, it made me look at the biking community a whole differently than I had before. Because before it was just like, oh yeah, bike ride for fun and this and that. But I never really focus on the issues that we have on the south side. And one thing is, like, uh, we lack of bike equity and bike infrastructure in the south side. And people are always telling me, like, oh, why do we deserve this and that? And it's quite crazy because um, it's kind of discriminating the south side with the north side. As the north side, do uh, they do have more bike lanes installed than the south side. But... Um, the the entire process for this was quite kind of like a learning experience and i actually enjoyed it and i learned new new things and uh um uh founded new people to communicate with and um you know ride a bike with so Ooh, yeah that was yeah. it um yeah, that was I'm, a long process yeah, eight months eight months uh i would always use the bike ride even um so the fellowship started like around december i want to say and it was around the time it was Critical Mass. If, I don't know if you guys know, but Critical Mass is always held the last Friday of every month. And the Southside one is held every first Friday from every month. But um, I attended the, the downtown one, and it was winter, December, snowing. And mm-hmm. I was like, if I'm going to do this, <laughs> and if I'm able to finish this Critical Mass the entire way, it was a 40-mile bike ride in the snow. It was really cold. I think it was below zero. I wasn't sure. But it was, it was like, you wow. know, I need to do this, and I need to do this for my... For my community, for the biking community, and Southside. Damn, that's really, (laughs) that's really you're tough, Jerry. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I've been told it's if it's hard, and but I mean, you could do anything as long as you put your mind to it, and you know, don't hold back. Just go ahead and do it. That's very true. So, are we ready to listen to it, guys? Yeah, we're ready. Come on. All right, we've been waiting. We've been waiting eight months, eight months for this story. Uh, so the project's um. Uh, Chicago Riding on Fixed Gear, Bike Oakity by Gerardo Salgado, which is me. So enjoy. Andrew Bermudez collects bicycles to the Chicago land area, sorting damaged and undamaged bikes as a volunteer coordinator at Working Bike. 
Along with Bermudez, volunteers Nick Upon and Christopher Miller followed the Working Bikes mission of bringing back to life bicycles that are abandoned or no longer being used. Working Bikes also holds volunteer sessions and teaches people how to repair and work on bicycles, so they can be donated to different charities, shelters, ex-offender reentry, refugee resettlement, and youth empowerment programs. In a talk with Bermudez, Capon and Miller about bicycling in Chicago, issues cyclists face every day, and what could better the lives of Chicago cyclists, I asked about if all neighborhoods have equal access to biking, or if there needs to be more awareness on biking. I also asked if the bikes, the Bike City Rental Bike Share Program, gives working bikes some competition. I was curious to know their thoughts on daily bikes. Are they good for Chicago? Are they accessible to everyone? And how do they compare to working bikes? As Bermuda's responded, Anyone can apply to receive a bicycle, a lock, and a helmet for, from us. Um, we ask for um, a letter of recommendation from an employer or a, uh, a social worker or a case manager. Um, and then we ask for a $20 copay. If they can, if they can afford to do that. If not, we will we bill the organization that has sent them. We try to provide um, affordable, healthy transportation to the members of our surrounding community and also throughout Chicago. So we definitely think that that is um, something that's valuable, and we try to do our part in that. I don't think so. I don't think there's competition between us and Divi. Um, Divi actually sends us, um, we have a, a, a relationship with them. They send us their old, um, they send us saddles, um, pedals, and old cables, such as uh, mainly brake cables, um, that we can put onto the bicycles that we repair. So we, we, um, we're friends with them, and I don't, I don't feel... We encourage people, however people choose to bike, we encourage it. It may appear that Divi located his bike station somewhat randomly. According to Divi's website, many factors are taken into consideration when deciding where to hmm. place Divi stations. This includes ranging from population density and business permits to solar power access consideration and other stations in the surrounding network. Thank you for riding the CTA Red Line. 75% of Divi riders use the public bike sharing program to get to or from public transportation. In early 2013, they started to creating a core of stations from downtown Chicago out to its surrounding neighborhoods. Then, once the initial neighborhood was built, they decided where to place stations based on demand. That means some low-income neighborhoods haven't been tackled due to lack of awareness on cycling, as a transportation alternative, or lack of information available on bike trails and bike paths. Many people from low-income neighborhoods may have access to a DV bike station, but at a cost of distance. Bike lanes should be created in low-income neighborhoods. That should be the priority. That should be the first place they go, because it's so expensive to buy a car. So a, biking, a bike is a more accessible form of transportation than an automobile. And so absolutely bike lanes should, there should be bike lane infrastructure um, in all of the low-income neighborhoods. People can request a DV station in their neighborhood by going to the DV website. Then there's also the question of whether neighborhoods have adequate bike lanes, in which Miller said, I would like to see like, roads and bike lanes and public transit be sort of a a resource that's not distributed based on property taxes or the the wealth of the neighborhood. Bike access isn't the only factor that people should be aware of. Potential bikers need to know about bike maintenance, investments in equipment, infrastructure, rules of the road, and bicycling activities around Chicago. 
many bicyclists face issues while commuting to work, school, or when exercising, but it all depends on what part of the city you decide to bike in. Certain may have adapted to high bicycling activity. Drivers, pedestrians, and other cyclists are well aware of their surroundings in those neighborhoods. When neighborhood residents are not aware of biking, that can create dangerous situations. Miller recalls experiencing anger from motorists and potentially being cut off. Capon has been doored and nearly doored frequently commuting to work in Lincoln Square. Um, I would like to see more protected bike lanes throughout the city. I think, you know, I think, yeah, that's what I'd like to see. Because I still think that that is one of the biggest things that stops people from deciding to get on a bike um, to bike in Chicago. I would love to see bike paths uh, either along train tracks or repurposed train tracks, sort of like how the 606 is. Um, but the, since the 606 is a walking path and a bike path, it, it's not, I think, as suited for transit. Um, but I think repurposing old train tracks that aren't being used into dedicated bike paths would be like, like little bicycle highways. And I, I would really love to be able to have that to get around. One thing that's easy to do that uh, I heard about on the internet is called the Dutch Reach. And it's just where, uh, I guess in, in the Netherlands, people, their habit is to reach over with their right arm to open the door um, because that forces you to look over your shoulder. Um, and that way you are less likely to door cyclists. I, I think that's just something I'd like people to hear about just because it's so easy to do. And if you change your habit, then you're not gonna door anybody. It would be a great habit to catch on in Chicago possibly preventing many cyclists from being doored. Chicago could also learn about bike trips from Amsterdam. When Capon traveled there, he noticed while cycling in three major metropolitan areas for a total of 30 miles that he did not have to leave a single bike lane or trail. He didn't have to worry about traffic while cycling 50 feet next to a highway. The Chicago suburbs can be even tougher for bikers. Capon often encounters issues while biking from the northwest side of Chicago to the suburbs. If there were better infrastructure, we wouldn't have so many issues with, you know, hey, I have to take a lane because there isn't a bike lane for me so that results in a lot of conflict just because you're kind of implementing cycling as something that wasn't always done in the city on an existing road system that wasn't designed with it in mind and while we've come a long way in developing infrastructure in Chicago I think that there's still a lot to be done and it's very much a patchwork the issue I've noticed because I bike to the suburbs um, from the northwest side of the city to Des Plaines and there's kind of this band of area around first, just kind of in the outskirts of the city, the first ring suburbs, where there aren't a lot of bike lanes and where drivers are going faster just because it's, it's more open. Uh, the roads are more wide open. And that's where I tend to have the most near misses. And it makes it almost that you can't get out of the city on a bicycle. So I would like to see them focus a little more on that as well. Um, certainly, if you want to ride your bike outside of the city, it can be really daunting to find a good way to do it no matter where you're exiting the city from and what direction is what I've noticed. So I'd like to see that. There are various nonprofits located around Chicago that try to help support a more economic and eco-friendly way to commute from working class people. For example, the Active Transportation Alliance has been helping the fight for better bicycling in Chicago. Active Transportation Alliance, also known as ATA, started the campaign Bike Ways for All to propose 180 miles of low-stress biking routes that prioritize in three categories, protected bike lanes, neighborhood greenways, and urban trails. So, uh, Bikeways for All is a campaign that Active Trans launched in the fall of 2015, and the goal is really to talk about 
um, our vision for the future of biking in the city of Chicago with a real focus on um, bike infrastructure and bike routes. Um, so we believe that everyone in the city, no matter where they live, should be able to safely use a bicycle to get from any origin to any destination. And that means providing folks with the best, um, highest quality bike routes that we can. And um, over, you know, over the last few years, Chicago has seen uh, a lot of new protected bike lanes, um, urban trails like the 606, and um, things like neighborhood greenways, which are like quiet side streets that um, are kind of optimized for walking and biking. And so we've seen that these things work um, in different parts of the city. And what Bikeways for All is attempting to do is to, to put forward um, a vision for how can we create a connected network of all these high quality, what we call low stress bike facilities that work for all ages and abilities and serve all communities equally. So, um, so Bikeways for All is, is uh, our campaign and a report to help us kind of communicate that message um, and mobilize residents around the city around specific projects to um, help achieve that vision. The different types of low-stress routes, protected lanes, neighborhood greenways, and urban shows all have a different purpose and work in different parts of the city. Protected lanes are on main commercial streets. Neighborhood greenways are in residential areas, and urban shows are like highways for cyclists. At times, cyclists around Chicago take a break during the winter or harsh weather conditions. Southside cyclist Monica Pisano commutes to work by car since an accident in the fall of 2016. Her parents fear that her next accident could be her last bike ride. Pisano started cycling at the age of seven. Initially, it was an outlet for adrenaline. Well, I started venturing off on a bike once I was in college because I was broke as hell. And although I had the U-Pass, I mean, I was on a time budget all the time. Um, and the bicycle was the perfect vehicle to get me from place to place. Pisano attended Columbia College in downtown, and our car would be pointless in the loop since parking is so difficult and expensive. So it was more of a matter of, like, efficiency and definitely because of my economic status as, um, as a college student. Pisano's accident was on the 47 and Hostage Streets at around 3 a.m. She had taken the L train halfway home from downtown to the 47th for a line stop. Rather than taking a bus, she would bike the rest of the way. But that night, cycling west on 47th at the intersection with Hostage, her light turned green and the opposite turned red. A guy tried to beat the red light. He picked up velocity and hit Pisano in the middle of the intersection. There were no witnesses. There was no lights in the intersection. Or cameras, I should say. Um, so it was a hit and run. They called anonymously. And I guess uh, I was, I, maybe I was conscious. Because uh, later on I found blood on my pants, like on my lap and the policeman at the hospital, because that's where I regained consciousness, was closer to the hospital, um, told me that they found me on, sitting on the curb. I don't remember any of that, though. At the time, Pisano was riding a road bike. The only description she can remember of the vehicle was that of a small sports car. After the accident, she tried to salvage what was left of her bike. My bike got all of the damage. Like, I went to retrieve my bike from the police station, and this is when I realized, damn. This could have been bad. 
but only retrieved her handlebar and her chain. Her physical injuries were only of a broken nose and a missing tooth. Pisano was lucky to survive, but accidents like this may still occur until more bike lanes that offer better protections are installed. There's a bike lane on Halstead going like north-south on Halstead, but there is no bike lane on 47th. There's actually not a lot of bike lanes on the south side east-west. There's Archer that's east-west, but it also goes north-south because it's diagonal. And then there's Halstead that has a bike lane and Damon that has a bike lane. But Damon cuts off, so that's pointless. From back of the yards to McKinley Park, there's absolutely no median. Another bicyclist is Little Village resident Isidro de la Paz. De la Paz is retired and he loves cycling, using his bike three times a week for 30 minutes at least. He rides his bicycle to exercise and to stay active, but he says it is too risky to ride in his neighborhood. No, por la bicicleta, muchas veces la usa uno para para hacer ejercicio y estar activo, no más que pues son muy peligrosos, pues para si se mete uno en la calle y no hay los servicios de la raya que sean especialmente no más para la para la bicicleta y si se ya si se mete uno a la a la banqueta pues también va arriesgando uno que la policía le le dé tique a uno pero también si se mete uno a la calle va uno peligrando que lo maten también los carros <laughs> y así es la el camino sobre la bicicleta de la paz used to ride on the sidewalk to be farther from cars but now officers can give tickets to people 12 and older cycling on sidewalks De La Paz has been stopped by police for riding on the sidewalk during harsh weather. No, pues sí, eso se puede decir que lo discriminan a uno aquí. Si no tienen esas protecciones para este condado, este barrio, no lo están protegiendo a uno. Nomás tienen sus, sus áreas donde apoyan a la gente y aquí no. Eso es cierto. De La Paz complains about the lack of bike infrastructure in his neighborhood and says it is unfair that cyclists do not get the same treatment as motorists and drivers with safe and equally installed bike lanes. Many cyclists believe that the south side is being discriminated against as they have little to no bike infrastructure compared to the north side residents. Pisano also speaks about bike equity and how Chicago has a lot of industrial areas which cut off many bike lanes and working class neighborhoods like Little Village and Back of the Yards. According to Active Transportation Alliance campaign Bikeways for All, 29% of Southside Chicagoans have access to a bikeway between a half a mile and a mile away. Westside Chicagoans have a 26% chance of this, while Northsiders have a low 18%. This might make it sound like a South and Westside resident have more bike land access, but the data is deceptive because of low population densities and land use patterns, including heavy industry on the South and West sides. There might be a bike lane throughout the industrial area on the south side, 
but because of industry, there might be no direct route to bike lanes from nearby residences. Bike lanes in industrial areas aren't safe if the road is traversed by heavy trucks. While some of the fastest routes have too much car traffic for bikes to use, and bike lanes throughout industrial areas likely don't lead toward downtown or other places locals are headed. While biking infrastructure still needs a lot of improvement, Chicagoans are working on raising awareness on bicycling, educating people, and fighting for better conditions. In addition to active transportation lines work, Walk by Co is a nonprofit planning group that manages a city fund education and encouragement program, the City of Chicago's Bicycling and Safe Route Ambassadors. These ambassadors work with school children, motorists, and bicyclists, promoting safe use of active modes of transportation and potentially reducing and eliminating traffic fatalities and serious injuries. Teams of ambassadors do demonstrations and have conversations in public areas like community events, schools, and summer camps. And this summer, they have plans to target Little Village residents and other Southside neighborhoods. Since the year 2000, the rates of bicycling have tripled in Chicago. According to the ATA, a few years ago, the ATA produced a report showing an average of 125 bike trips every day. Taking in consideration that the numbers are a little higher during the summer months versus the winter, when only about 40% of summer cyclists are still riding. Furthermore, the ATA has definitely noticed the people of Chicago are more likely to use a bike lane when low-stress bike lanes are installed. Ultimately, Mayor Pisano concurred that if all Chicagoans feel safe while traveling on their bikes, have proper information about their rights and responsibilities as a cyclist, and trust the roads and bike lanes, then they will most likely use a bicycle as a mode of transportation. I personally think that cycling should be a synonym for freedom, but there is no freedom when you are risking your life. Hello guys, we are back and remember you guys are listening to WLPN LP Chicago. 105.5 FFN Lumber Radio. Uh, we are here at Studio B, not Studio Y, Studio Y, Zilokali. So, um, so for now, I just want to talk a little bit uh, of the aftermath of this project uh, and what I learned. Um, I'm not much of a journalist, and it was, this was quite a learning experience. Um, I was able and gifted to do articles, and you write stories for uh, Social Justice News Nexus, and to produce this uh I believe it's an 18-minute project and article. Um, it was quite helpful for me because I took a year off from college. So uh, I really wanted to do something productive for myself. So this was a great way to do it, and it was a great uh, fellowship to uh, use to do. But um, the thing I like about this is that I learned a few things about writing. Uh, I'm not much of a writer, and I don't really consider myself a writer. But after this, I feel like I can do things now. Um, I feel more confident in writing. So it was quite an honor to do this thing, and it was quite fun and a great learning experience, as I mentioned. But um, after this, um, I've noticed that I kind of have the interest on in doing more things. Uh, when I was doing this project, I did a lot of things in once. So I had to learn how to do interviews, how to record and edit. But, I mean, I was kind of... I already kind of knew how to do that, but it, uh, this was a more difficult task because it was interviews that I had to implement in the project. And it was an 18-minute project that I've never done that. I've usually done like five minutes, but 18 is quite a handful. Um, but what I do like is that I was able to do other things like photography and kind of... So I did like 
three or four little things and developed this hobby now um, for photography too. But um, now that I also learned how to write articles, um, I want to get out there more and, you know, do more stories and uh, raise awareness on other, on other events that are held in Chicago, uh, possibly around the world as I do like to travel. But um, for now, Ch- Chicago is my home. So I'm going to be here for a while <laughs> and writing more stories about Chicago and hopefully uh, the biking community realizes that uh, we have to stand up and, you know, fight the good fight and make sure we do a change for the community. Yeah, I kind of like really, my almost opposite were like with audio. <laughs> I was like more not knowing like how to do like audio. So uh-huh. I, I only did like one part, but I love writing. And I think that's what like I was like not struggling so much because I love writing. But I think that journalism like this fellowship gave us a big opportunity into like um developing our skills on journalism it -hmm. was super super like intense with like writing the articles and i just think that it's really important like for us to know what journalism means and what journalism can do for like readers and for the community too because it's it's really like, okay, you're putting all this work that you have done, like research, uh, everything, like um, knowing these people, knowing like the effects of the community, what's uh, the causes of what's going on in our uh, earth and mostly our community. So it was like, it's really awesome that we could like write it into like a paper and then for it to be published and for people to actually read it and be like, concern and create awareness basically for the community and also like even people like outside from the community like the suburbs so that they could know what's going on in our community you know so i think that journalism is like that powerful for us especially because we're like really like well not so much teens but we're the youth so i think it's really powerful for us to just create writing create uh creative writing actually and put it as journalism and then just like create awareness with it. Uh, so before we head out to Jenny's project and final piece, um, I just want to give a quick shout out to Working Bikes. Uh, thank you for the volunteers. Andrew Bermudez too. The fellow writer, Monica Pisano. Sorry for your accident. Um, but I mean, I still see her around. I've seen I've seen her on her bike. Uh, also shout out to my neighbor, um, Isidro de la Paz. Uh He's he's an avid bicyclist in the Little Village area. He's often seen. Uh, I always see him bicycling all the time. Uh, he he loves uh, bike riding. But um, I also want to give a shout out to the biking committee that I'm part in. Um, you know, I just want to tell you guys like uh, just be careful. <laughs> uh, safety first. Wear helmets and you know fight the good fight and just enjoy the bike riding. Yeah, that's what's up. Uh, so I want to talk to you guys about my piece. And, well, it was pretty important for me because I've been living in a little village for almost, like, half of my life ever since, like, I came from Mexico because I was born in Mexico. So this has been my home, like, ever since, like, I was six years old. And it's really, if you guys know 36th Street, it's, like, so, like, it's not that big. But for me, it's, like, a big, big community, (laughs) even though it's not because I have always gone like Sundays almost a whole week I go to buy paletas from mangoes and I'm always walking on 36th street so it's like really important for me and it's really like a uh, 
a way for me to like get away from all the like not problems but like to get away from school and like just distract myself i distract myself on 26th street and on the parks and you know so it was really important because i learned that unilever was expanding um it's uh it well unilever is a fabric fa- factory that creates me imaginis so they're expanding it to costner but unilever has been there for 100 years already in little village And they're expanding it right next to Zapata Elementary School, which is on Costner, too. And I was really upset to hear this because I was like, wait, what? Like, they're expanding Unilever right next to a school where there's pretty much, like, so many kids in there. Like, they're going to breathe all this, like, diesel that they're going to come with the trucks. And and uh, it was really impacting for me. It was really, like, a slap into my face like okay like what the heck is going on you know because because it was like right there where they're gonna spend Unilever it used to be a like just like land you know and they used to have festivals there the El Circo used to come so the circus used to come there and it would be like uh really fun for us to like just go go to a circus go to the festivals and it was like pretty much like uh a thing that we all had like okay like it's gonna be summer let's go to a festival and it was gonna be right there and to now to know that there was gonna be a uh it, it wasn't gonna be there anymore and the unilever rex is spending right there it was really like crazy so i was really passionate like to investigate and to know what residents had to say about this so i interviewed residents local uh restaurant owners And I also interviewed El Vejo, which is the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. And I just wanted, like, for the community to know what was going on and if they did knew. And also what El Vejo was doing for, to fight, you know, against Unilever or just, like, promote better, uh, like, solutions to it. And, well, this is my piece. It's 21 minutes and i uh, hope you guys enjoy it as much as i do and the name of it is actually a bright future for the little village shedding light on the dark corners hope you enjoy it have you been in little village or la villita What comes to your mind when you hear the name Little Village? When I tell people I'm from Little Village, they automatically say, Where is that at? And I've never been there. My neighborhood is Little Village. I grew up in Little Village since I was six years old. And this neighborhood has been my home ever since. The first thing that comes into my mind is birds singing and sprinklers watering gardens. But let me tell you why. A common day walking in a little village is usually filled with excitement. From children running and playing in the huge backyards, to neighbors sitting in the front of their stairs talking to each other, to the moms in the backyard watering plants to keep their gardens green and fresh. 
you also constantly hear the bell of the ice cream cart or paletero passing street by street. The park is a habit for families, especially on Sundays, which can be the busiest day in Little Village because that's the day when the whole family can enjoy a day together since parents work six days out of the week. They all go together to have a good time, playing tag, swinging, playing soccer, sitting on the grass, and eating even lotus from street vendors. Little Village is a very unique place, located in the heart of the south side of Chicago. A bridge down 31st Street and Coster divides Little Village from the suburb of Cicero. Crossing the bridge from Cicero, one encounters Little Village Londell High School. And then Petrovsky Park on 31st Street and La Villita Park on 28th Street and Sacramento. By the northwest perimeter of Costner and 28th Street is another educational institution, Emiliano Zapata Elementary School. Walking north from Zapata, there is the smell of pizza dough from local pizzeria Celis Pizza. Once you hit 26th Street, there is the clean, fresh, aromatic, suavizante smell from the laundromat. The major and most popular street in Little Village is 26th Street. Running east to Western Avenue is the second highest grossing business district in Chicago. Twenty-sixth Street. Walking all the way down 26th Street, it is easy to find all types of delicious Mexican food. Taquerias, panaderias, candy shops, paleterias, quinceañera shops, and its most embracing symbol, the Ark, that says, Bienvenidos a Little Village. Welcome to Little Village. La Calle 26th Street is the equator of Little Village as it is surrounded by family-style houses that cuddle a community. The borderline on the south is 33rd Street. Meanwhile, the north is guarded by Ogden Avenue. Despite all attributes, residents in the community are not always happy. And the neighborhood has always been facing challenges like education access, pollution, and its newest danger, gentrification. Little Village is predominantly a Mexican immigrant community, where low-income working families of first and second generation immigrants live. These families come to the U.S. with the set goal of having a better future, in which education is involved. The struggle and the constant fights of this community are reflected in its education achievements like Little Village on the high school campus and Emiliano Zapata in high school. No matter what they say, right is on our side. 14 hard-working parents and grandparents put their lives at risk with the hunger strike lasting 19 days, demanding the city to fulfill its promise to build a larger and more spacious educational institution, Little Village London High School. 
city, education for neighborhood schools. Every child in the city, regardless of race or economic status, deserves quality education. Yes, right. We yes, continue right. to fight the corporate-led educational reform agenda that has nothing but cut our schools, closed our schools, defunded our neighborhoods, and continues to destabilize. CPS, this is criminal. This is a violent act against our community. Let's call it what it is. At the time, the only high school that was available to future high school students was Bergen Career Academy. But students who lived on the east side had a hard time going all the way to Bergen. Also, it was dangerous for students to cross gang lines. Ultimately, the Hugger Strait was a success, and in 2005, Little Village London High School was established, or what residents called Save Heaven School was finally constructed. While the Little Village London High School provided a needed option for high school students, now Zapata Elementary is overcrowded with more than 830 students. Children from 4th and 5th grade had to go to a building nearby Good Shepherd. According to the website preschools.stars.com, Zapata Elementary Academy has 80% students in Cook County. The average public school has 59 preschool students, so this preschool is somewhat larger than the average for the community. In 2015, Major Ram Emanuel signed a contract to expand Zapata. But even when the city is planning to expand Zapata to better serve students and address community concerns about overcrowding, it is also allowing a development that puts Zapata students at risk. That is planned, the expansion of the adjacent Unilever plant that makes Herman's Majonese. The expansion will mean more diesel trucks coming to the community, emitting pollution into the air, and making the streets more dangerous. Traffic in Little Village is always a hot mess. You can often hear the horns of angry drivers and noises from the trucks passing by. Llamo Gabriela Hernández, tengo 32 años y no estoy trabajando. Me molesta mucho el tráfico. Hay mucho, mucho, mucho tráfico. What bothers her the most in Little Village is traffic set. Local resident Gabriela Hernández. Another community member, Esther Perez, who regularly visits the park, also stated. Tengo 46 años. Esther Perez, who regularly visits the park, also stated. The traffic makes it hard to get to the park, and that, with the Unilever expansion, will make it a hot mess. Unilever estimated the expansion will mean 500 to 900 more trucks a day, seven days a week. 
for us that's very alarming given that it's right next to a thousand children from K to eighth grade. We have done research on diesel and 30% of our community members here do suffer from some kind of respiratory issues. But what does the community have to say about the Unilever expansion? A study by students at the Infinity School within Little Village on the high school showed that 71% of residents were not aware of the expansion plans. When I talked to residents at Petrovsky Park near the site, it seemed that not many people knew about the Unilever expansion. Many did not know that Unilever is in the community, though the factory has been there for more than 100 years. Hernandez did not know about the proposed expansion, but when she learned about it, she was concerned. Hay muchos niños, van solos, hay mucho tráfico también y si, va a haber, si ellos van a traer más mm, trailers, carros grandes, me imagino que eso va a ser peligroso, ya los papás no van a estar uh, como más libres de que vayan los niños solos a la escuela o que regresen solos, porque pues aquí todos trabajan y muchos no tienen quien los cuide, o... va a ser peligroso, más por la escuela. My name is Nancy Mesa. I'm the community organizer here at the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. The community members weren't um, notified. There had been community um, meetings for it, but the people who were sitting at these meetings weren't people from the community. So then that's when Alvejo started getting involved and um, in trying to get community members on that uh, on the table. But, um, you know, uh, by the time we were able to do that, the project had already been approved. It's already been more than two years since the Crawford coal plant on 35th Street and Pulaski was shut down after a long battle, thanks in part to the work of El Vejo and the director, Kimberly Wasserman. Little Village London residents don't have relief from the air pollution at the time. But now with the expansion of Unilever, the air in Little Village will be affected by the 500 to 900 more diesel trucks a day. After learning about the Unilever expansion plans in 2015, El Vejo started a diesel campaign to demand clean air for Little Village. So even just um, people, basic knowledge of their uh, breathing problems is um, important to us. But also diesel does let out PM 2.5, which are uh, tiny particles that go in deeper inside your bloodstream and into your lungs that can cause different respiratory issues. And it's more common for children who are still developing uh, their lungs, people who are active and pregnant women that have a higher risk of having some kind of respiratory issue either now or later on. El Vejo demanded a community benefits agreement that would protect residents from the impacts of the Unilever expansion. Alderman Ricardo Munoz came to tell the community that the Unilever expansion was going to provide 60 jobs. This sounds appealing for hardworking families in Little Village. But we didn't know, we still don't know if those jobs are going to be full-time jobs or temporary jobs or what kind of jobs um, they're going to be, are going to be available for our community members. We want to ensure that the jobs are healthy and are living wage because I feel like our community members uh, deserve at least that.
Munoz said that the jobs are open to the community. But is there any guarantee residents will get the jobs? Especially the high-level management jobs? My name is Kim Wasserman. I am the executive director at the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. Um, we still have political representation that doesn't take environment seriously. That we still have a, a city um, that wants to criminalize um, young people, particularly young people of color. I, you know, there's still a lot of work that we have to do, um, and I think it's for us. It's a question of how are we ensuring that people don't have to leave Little Village because now it's so great that they have clean air and a new park and a new bus, and they want other people to live here. Um, I think we still we want to make sure that Little Village can stay a low-income community of color, that people have a place to live in, and that they feel safe here, that they're not going to be criminalized, that they're not going to be deported, that they're not going to be um, facing economic hardship, that this is a place where they can thrive, that they can um, do small business, that they can get an education, um, that this is a place that they feel is their home. Struggle is still continuing. We were very lucky to have been in the table with Unilever. We had some uh, very good conversation around retrofitting the tracks to electric. As of right now, their jockeys are going to be, 20% of those are going to be gas, which, you know, it's, it's a step forward. There's still a lot we have to do, but I think we are also taking into consideration the expanding of Zapata Elementary School. That the school itself has some kind of air filtration system. We do know that, you know, um, it's contaminated outside with all the diesel pollution and stuff, but the indoor air quality is also very important and it can also harm the students. We want to make sure that because they're going to be right next to the new expansion that they are also being protected indoors um, with, uh, with their breathing. So it's an environmental issue, justice issue, because I think being a low-income and immigrant community, it's not fair that we are surrounded by industry, but we also know that we're not going to get rid of it. So, you know, the way we, we want to tackle it is um, working with industry and making sure that they are being good neighbors. So making sure that they are not dumping waste um, undergrounds, making sure that we are actually having uh, conversations with them whenever they're expanding or for future projects. I think it's always necessary to have that conversation because if you don't have that conversation, then you know you have a bigger risk of um, not knowing what is uh, what you're being exposed to with these um, industries. And it's also a health issue because um, I mean, as of right now, we don't know what's in our air. We don't know what we're breathing. So we are also trying to figure out with our air monitoring project, uh, figuring out what it is that's in our air, what are we breathing, um, and after that, figuring out, okay, well then how can we fix it, or what can we do so that we don't get sick. Talking to Kimberly Wilson, she explained to us the difference between environmental justice. Yeah, environmental justice is, not, is very different from environmentalism. Environmental justice has 17 principles that it adheres to. Um, it's how we look at our planet, how we look at our world, how we look at our economy, um, how we look at our people. Um, and it's really a question of basing our work on respect, on mutual respect, on consent, on community having decision-making powers, and really changing um, how we function as a country and as a world, um, really questioning uh, capitalism, 
um, and um, how much of a toll that takes on our people, on our world, on our environment, um, and really lifting up what we call community solutions, really lifting up that in our communities, we have the answers to the economic problems, to, the, to all of the problems, if we just would stop and listen to our community members. With their study on Unilever, students from Infinity School's AP Statistics class are learning from a real-world struggle in their community. Their teacher, Salvador Venegas, invited Alvejo to his class and gave students the choice between two different topics, the demand for field house in Little Village or the Unilever expansion. The students chose Unilever. My name is Salvador Venegas. I'm a math teacher here at Infinity High School. I think proximity was the deciding factor. Most of the students at the high school reside on the west side of Little Village, and having the Unilever company literally a doorstep away from some of the students' homes, I think made it more relevant and more interesting for them. I remember the time uh, that the organization came back, El Vejo came back, and we presented the information to them. At that point, they had updated information for us, and I remember the reaction of my students when they heard that the expansion was going to result in a total of 60 new jobs, 60, 60. And my students were kind of really taken aback because they envisioned such a big company, and they talked about the profits and being a multinational company they would expect that as a result of all this, more than 60 people would get hired. And so I think that was, I remember, one of the most shocking things when students said, wait, for so all of this is for 60 people to get a job and the effects of a whole community. The students collected data and the findings were alarming. On average, 1.3 trucks pass the intersection of 31st Street and Costner per minute between the times of 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. So they, at first, when the project started, they did not think it would be that much, like one, one and a half trucks every minute. That seems like it's pretty traffic. Uh, that seems like a lot of traffic. And uh, they kind of realized that we're in a heavily in industrialized area. Not only is Unilever there, but there's other companies right around us that use uh, diesel trucks to transport material. This is all like baseline data. So once the company opens and they're predicting that we're going to have 500 trucks, then it'd be probably really important to count those and then compare and say in 2016, 2017, we had these amount of trucks going through the neighborhood. But now that the company opened, we have these many more. If the next generation gets involved in issues like Unilever, and if residents are alert, involved in demanding environmental protections, and a voice in the debate, Little Village can still be the place I remember, with birds singing, land sprinklers on big green yards, and mothers with kids playing in the park. A decade ago, the construction of Little Village on the high school after the hunger strike was a community victory. Maybe 
the response to the Unilever expansion can end up being a community victory too. There's a place in your heart and I know that it is love brighter than tomorrow and if you really try you'll find there's no need to cry in this place you feel there's no hurt or sorrow there are ways to get Hello guys, remember you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 Lumpen Radio live from Studio B. And you guys just heard my uh, piece. I hope you guys liked it as much as I did. I enjoyed doing it. And well, quick shout outs to El Vejo, Kimberly Wasserman, Nancy Mesa, Salvador Venegas, which is an AP statistic uh, teacher at Little Village at Infinity. And to all his like students who did this uh, project. And yeah, I just hope you guys, you know, are aware of what's going on, especially in low-income communities like Little Village and yeah uh also for people in Little Village who are listening you guys could actually like do action by calling the aldermen and by telling them to change the like diesel trucks to electric and also to Zapata they need air filtration systems in their school and yeah um also shout out to Stephanie for Guiding us to this fellowship and oh, yeah, yeah. Ca- Carrie Steph. from the Social Justice News Nexus. Um, hope you're listening, Carrie. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Hello, it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, amazing, astonishing, highly amazing <gasps> production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up, again. In the meantime, we'll be working on the next one here in Lumpin' Radio. So stay tuned to our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, astonishing, highly amazing broadcast. I hope that you are informed about the awesome parts of life and that you will have a splendid day. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolokali. On social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolokali, or visit at YolokaliArtsReach.org for more. We are the robots.